And uh, Mandy and I were doing something different today. Mandy and I are team teaching today, and I'm really excited about that because if you never heard Mandy teach, she is one great I, preacher, actually. I mean, you're a good teacher, but you are a preacher. Give her a hand. Um, so th this whole series is about our heart for the house, uh, what, what God wants to do through our church. And we're looking at what the Bible has to say about what our heart should be toward church, toward our endeavors in our city, around the world. And everything in this series is pointing to next week being our big um, yearly annual Heart for the House offering Sunday. Uh, but for the last few weeks, though, I opened up with week one talking about or asking the question, can we see today what people saw 2,000 years ago, the stories we read about in the Bible, the revivals that have happened 2,000 years ago and all through human history, the revivals, the great awakenings in, in Europe and in, in the Northeast part of the United States hundreds of years ago. If stuff happened then, can it happen today? And we open up week one and we absolutely believe it can happen today because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if he did it there, he can do it here. If he did it then, he can do it now. Do you guys believe that? And we also know this, the Bible is not just stories, it's not just full of stories of things that have once happened, they are stories of things that are still happening and stories of things that can happen in the future. Our anchor verse for this series is Psalm 26, eight. King David wrote this and he said, Lord, I love the refuge I find in your house, the place where your glory dwells. That's why we name the offering we do every year, Heart for the House. It's about growing a greater heart for the church and what God wants to do in and through us as an organization, in and through us as individuals, as families, and what we can accomplish in our city. So um, today, the title of our message, we're, we're in week three of here and now, but the title of our message is Movement Making Partnerships. You know, partnership is such a powerful thing. I mean, we are so much better together. Like by myself, I can only do so much, but when we come together, there is power in partnership. And I think we can see this like clearly demonstrated in marriage, right? Like where I'm weak, Dustin's strong. Where's he, where he is weak, I'm strong. We see this, you cannot find two more opposite people in this universe than us. How many of you guys feel like that with the person you're married to? Yeah, more, op I mean, we're, we're opposite. We are very opposite. They took a photo of us at the Holiday Hope packing party last Sunday night, and this is just us. He's standing there, he's smiling very conservatively, and I'm out, I don't know, busting a gut, laughing and dancing with the kids, and this is just us. Like, he's very, um, he has a plan at all times. He's very. I gotta talk about this picture, though. Yes, Because the band is playing, there's little kids dancing, and this is what I'm doing. Have you ever seen that Homer Simpson uh, meme where he's like backing into the bushes, you know? Th that, that's kind of what I'm doing. Like, I can see Mandy starting to move, and she's starting to dance, and I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, good I, moves. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Come on, give him I, a I hand. Started, I started good. backing up, and, but that's me. I'm starting to grin and back. I'm like bumping into my dad right behind me, and Mandy's just out there dancing with everybody. But yeah, that's our personalities. Good times, good times. He's an early riser. I'm a night owl, and I just, he finds peace in the morning before everyone's awake. I'm talking, I mean, ungodly hours of the morning. Dustin is up. If you ever want to know, he's up. But then me, I would rather find peace when everybody's gone to bed and I've got my fireplace going and my tree lit. And you know what I'm talking about? How many of you guys are morning people? Um, night people? Night owls? Let's go. Let's Whoa. go. Yeah. You win in this service. I think, oh, well, of course. The, of course. 
It's a later service. <laughs> it's a later service. It's a later service. Come on, give yourselves a hand risers. for even waking up when you did. That's we so are funny. opposites. Even in our leadership style, our parenting style, we are definitely very opposite. Our but philosophy we, on napping. Our philosophy. He doesn't allow me to nap. No. I haven't napped in a very long time. He's like, I'm lonely. Wake I feel up. abandoned. <laughs> like we're like in the living room watching TV. She's like, I'm gonna go take a nap. I'm like, what? What am I gonna do? She's like, take a nap. And I was like, I don't, I don't like taking naps. Yeah, we're, we're very, very different. Yeah. Uh, our staff could definitely attest to this in meetings. Yeah. There are moments when Dustin feels so strongly about something and I'm like, I just don't care. And then there's moments when I'm like, I feel strongly about something. He's like, I just don't care. And hopefully we can complement each other well because we're in partnership. And that's the beauty of partnership when you come together and you bring your strengths and, and I bring my strengths. We all come together. Oh man, can we accomplish something powerful for the kingdom of God because that's we're good. in partnership. It's an incredible, incredible thing. There is actually a word, a Greek word in the New Testament that um, demonstrates what this is, this partnership, and it's koinonia. And I think we have this, it's partnership, companionship, and sharing. This is, this is partnership, koinonia. It's an all-in mentality. It is sharing of your resources, sharing of your life experience, sharing with each other your wisdom, everything about you. You're saying, I am going to give of myself. And when we all do that, we come together in partnership. That is a powerful thing called koinonia, partnership. And I believe that God wants us to demonstrate this. Actually, the English word that best translates from koinonia is fellowship. And I think that we've used that word so much, you know, in, in Christian circles that we've watered that down. But what a powerful word fellowship is, is when we say, I am all in. I'm all in on you, you're all in on me, and we're all in on the kingdom of God. This is koinonia, this is biblical partnership. So good. Acts uh, 2.42 is the first time this, this word shows up in scripture in the New Testament, and it says, they spent their time learning the apostles' teaching, sharing, breaking bread, and praying together. Um, uh, there's many theologians about this verse, they say this is the perfect definition of that word koinonia and what believers' lives should look like. We're meeting together, we're sharing, we're breaking bread. Our lives are about other people. That's why there's so much emphasis on this word and this theme in the New Testament because it gets the emphasis off of self and onto God's mission. Other people, the cause of Christ in our cities, in our world, and it, gets, it takes us out of being the center of everything. And there's two main expressions also in the New Testament with this word. Um, there is the relationship, the partnership, the first expression is between us and God, and the second expression is between us and the church. There's koinonia with God, and there's koinonia with the church, the, the people, the gathering of the church. First uh, John 1, 3 describes this, it says, oh yeah, 1 John 1, 3. Um, what we have seen and heard, we announce to you also so that you will join with us. That's that wording, joining with us, koinonia, in the fellowship that we have with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. It's fellowship with other people, joining with us in this fellowship that we have with God. There's fellowship, there's koinonia with each other, there's koinonia with 
God. And I was, I was researching this the other day and, and this word and all through history and, and I'm, I've been studying these movements for a long time. I'm fascinated by movements, mainly with um, Christian movements, church movements, but really any movement. What is the thing that sparks something that can get hundreds and thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of people motivated to be a part of something where previously they were not motivated to be a part of it. And especially when it comes to revivals in the church world and when we see these great awakenings throughout history, they are always birthed out of partnership. It's birthed out of this koinonia partnership with God and with the church. There are people that have looked around in the world and said, enough is enough. I am tired of the trajectory of the world. It's time to go all in on God and go all in on this koinonia relationship with God and the church. Um, so that, that's what we wanna talk about today for yeah, a few minutes. Yeah, we're gonna go over three essential partnerships of a kingdom-building movement. I don't know about you, but I wanna be a part of a kingdom-building movement, something that is taking territory for the kingdom of God, a movement. And the first one is obvious, and that is our partnership with God. You know, he invites us. He invites us to be in partnership with him. What a crazy thought that God, the creator of the universe, the one who started the church in the first place, what a crazy thought that he invites you and he invites me to be in partnership with him. It's unbelievable. In 1 Corinthians 1, 9, it says, God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, all throughout history, from the beginning of time, God invited humankind into partnership with him. He did not have to, but he did it. All throughout history, from the beginning of the word of God, you see him using men and women to accomplish his story, to accomplish his mission. It's a powerful thing. You see Noah, Moses, David, the prophets, the kings. He did not have to invite them to be in partnership, but yet he chooses to use you and to use me. He chooses to use our resources, what we have to offer. And you can think, well, I don't have anything to offer. I mean, really, though, you can take the wealthiest person in this room or the person that's the most talented, and really it's nothing in comparison to who God is and what he owns. He owns it all, right? So does he really need you to build his church? No. Does he need me? No, he does not need me. But he invites me. It's like, I want you to be a part of this. I want to invite you to be in partnership with me. When you think about Jesus and his ministry, I mean, he's, he's walking the earth. I mean, he's calling his disciples and building up leaders. He's casting out demons. He's performing these miracles. He's confronting religious leaders who are so off track with their mentality on who he is. He goes to the cross he comes up out of the grave, and the whole entire time, his ministry was funded by a small group of people and actually a small group of women, and I'm gonna prove it to you right here. Luke 8, one through three, it says, soon afterward, he went through, he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were there with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, get this, who provided for them out of their means. 
Now, did God need those women's resources to accomplish his rescue mission of the world? I mean, really, did he need Mary Magdalene? No, but he chose to invite her to be a part of this mission and to partner with him. Why would he do that? He takes a woman who's so broken. I mean, her life was a mess before she met Jesus. He cast demons out of her. I mean, she was a broken mess. And then he says, come on, Mary, come with me. I wanna partner with you. I love the fact that God can look at your story and my story. At one time, my story was so broken, and I thought, there is no way God is gonna still use me. And I know many of you have thought the same thing. How is God gonna use me? My story is a mess. I've made a mess of things. Things are not how I thought they were gonna be. Yet God is saying, I wanna partner with you. Bring me your resources. Bring me what you have, and I wanna partner with you. Why? Why does God wanna partner with you? Why would God want to invite you into partnership? because he wants to give your life purpose and meaning. He loves you so much. He's saying, if you'll come into partnership with me, I'm gonna give you life and life abundant. I wanna give you purpose and meaning, and he's inviting you today to be in partnership with him, to partner with God. So good, like mic drop good. Gosh, that's good. It's partner with God. The, the first partnership is with God, and the second partnership, number two, if you're taking notes, partnership with our church. So there's three partnerships, and the second one is partnering with our church. So if this is your home church, it would be your partnership with Citizen Church, and it's partnering with the place we feed what feeds us. It's partnering with the place that I'm, I'm going, I'm invested in, the place that is ministering to me, and we see this in Acts 4.32. Um, at the, toward the beginning of the story of the New Testament church, it says, all the believers were in one heart and, and one mind, not, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And it's that koinonia all-in mentality. And this is convicting. I mean, you talk about these early Christians gathering together, and they would walk into gatherings. They walked in life, really, understanding that everything they had, everything we have today, is not ours. I think one of the most freeing moments of my life was when I first started tithing, the 10% of our income, when I first started tithing um, in my early 20s, and I remember this day where it was so hard to give God you know, my money. But when I fully understood what it meant that I don't own anything I have, everything I have is his, I have it on loan, then I'm not bringing God my money, I'm bringing back a small portion of the money, of the resources he's given me, just a small portion back. It was one of the most freeing days of my life to live with the idea and the understanding that money does not have me, I have money, I have money. Resources do not have me, I have resources. And I think it's really important for us, when you think about this idea of our church and partnering with our church, there's this word that we don't use very often. It was used way more often a few hundred years ago, but it's a word that perfectly describes the call for every believer in the church, and that word is patron. Patron. Um, I wanna show you a few definitions I found of this word, and I just think it's such a powerful, awesome word. The first definition is one that uses wealth or influence to help an individual, an institution, or a cause. The second definition, a person or group that supports an activity or organization, especially by giving money. And this third one, I love this one, a person chosen, named, or honored as a special guardian, protector, or supporter. 
This is why I feel like this is such a perfect word that describes a partnership with our church because I want to be known. I know I'm the pastor, but even if I was an attendee of this church, because for years I was, you know, like I, I, I want to be known as a patron of the church I'm a part of. I'm a guardian. I'm a protector. I'm invested. At what I want the health of this church to be amazing. I will forever, for the rest of my life, remember the first few months of the pandemic. I remember us meeting in our conference room in this, in this building when everything first started shutting down. And churches absolutely 100% depend on offerings, weekly offerings. And at that time, we were passing buckets and a large portion of our weekly offering that would come in that would supply the finances for our ministries would be given live in services in those buckets. And I remember having the, the faith conversation that day of, well, we had no choice. Well, now we know we have a choice, but no choice back then of what we were gonna do. So we closed for two weeks and it was just gonna be two weeks and we were like, we're gonna make it, right? But the first conversation we had was, what are the finances gonna be like? If this goes on longer than two or three weeks, you know, what happens when the savings is gone? If people aren't giving, because the whole world was hurting financially. It, what's gonna happen with the church? And you know, I remember being filled with fear, but at the same time, on the other hand, filled with faith, because the church isn't ours, it's God's. Like what you goes back to what you said, does God need our money? No, he just chooses to partner with us for our benefit and for the benefit of others. But this is what I, the reason I'm telling you this is I'll never forget those first few months seeing patrons, yeah. brand new, seasoned patrons that have been in our church forever, people that had just started coming, saying no, I'm a guardian of this house. Yeah. I'm a protector of this house. This church is not going under. And I watched people in seasons, they were hurting financially, go above and beyond financially. So not just so that we would survive the pandemic, so that we could thrive and grow and flourish in the pandemic. And when people step up and take on their responsibility as patron, there is nothing that churches can't do. Um, some examples in the Bible of, of patrons. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is a woman in Acts chapter 16. That's when she's introduced to us. Her name is Lydia. And if you've never done a study on Lydia, you should. It's fascinating. She plays a very small role in, in how many times her name is mentioned, but she plays a gigantic role in the story of the early church. Why? In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in Philippi, and they were ministering there and wanting to start a church there, a Christian church. Uh, Paul was casting out demons and healing people, um, obviously through the power of Christ, but I mean, it was, it was amazing. And they were trying to find just a small group of Jewish believers so that they could preach the gospel to what was called in the New Testament, God-fearers. And so there was not a synagogue. They go down to the river outside of the city and they see a small group of Jewish people meeting there together. And Paul approaches them and preaches the gospel and says, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the prophecies that you read about in the Old Testament. And so this group of people come to know Christ. They give their lives to Christ that day. Lydia is one of them. Lydia, we see in scripture, was, is very specifically tells us she was a merchant in clothing, cloth, purple cloth. Purple was a regal um, color. She, she would have been like an owner of Versace or something like that, I don't know. But she, I mean, she, was, she had means, she had finances. 
And Paul doesn't know that when he's first ministering to them, but Lydia becomes this vital role in the church. She ends up funding Paul's ministry, opening up her home to being the place where the church of Philippi would originate. She became one of the leaders of the church of Philippi, and all through the New Testament, she was one of the people who funded the ministry of the Apostle Paul the entire time he was ministering around the world. Other examples of this are uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, He's a great example. He was a Jewish man who was a secret follower of Christ because back then, if you were Jewish and you um, said, hey, I'm following Jesus, you could be excommunicated. He was an influential man in the Jewish community in Jerusalem. And when Jesus died on the cross, there was nowhere to bury Jesus. Joseph of Arimathea donated his tomb and gave his resources to embalm Jesus. And he's, has, that, that's when he chooses to say, I'm a Christ follower. I, I, was, I was reading about Joseph of Arimathea the other day and I was thinking, why right then? Like you're gonna wait until the guy who said I'm God dies and that's when you're gonna say I'm a follower of Jesus, but he believed so wholeheartedly that Jesus, the prophecies about him would come true. He said when everyone else, the disciples had vanished into the darkness, It was Joseph of Arimathea, a patron of Jesus and the future church that came forward and said, I will protect the body of Christ. Uh, The third example I wanna give you really quickly is Priscilla and Aquila, a married couple in Corinth. They were business owners. Uh, They would meet in the, the, the Roman forum in Corinth and they would sell their goods. They see the miracles that Paul is doing. Paul preaches to them, they get saved. They hire Paul. If you've ever heard that Paul was a tent maker, that's how he got his job as a tent maker was through Priscilla and Aquila. They also ended up funding Paul's ministry and becoming patrons of the early church all around the world. And um, I'm taking a long time, but I'm just so excited about this. I'm sorry. It's great. Keep going. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Come on, tell him. See our partnership? Okay, here we go. (laughs) She's concise and I'm long-winded, but it's okay. It works. Okay, so... Um, I want to. There's, there's been all through the history of our church too. I, I love. It's so hard for me to sit down. I want to stand up, and I might in a minute. But there, all through the history of our church, there have been very real people, real examples. Just like I read you to you in scripture. There's a reason our church still exists today, and it's because people that would say they have very little income, all the way to people that would be we would consider very wealthy have said, I wanna be a patron of this house. Yeah. Uh, when I was 11 years old, our church went through a season that was extremely difficult. Um, if you're familiar with church terminology, our church went through a church split. There was a lot of confusion, division, and a lot of people ended up um, leaving our church. And um, my parents really felt like God specifically called them to Albuquerque in that church, so they decided to stay and, and stick this thing out. But like I mentioned a minute ago, everything a church does is dependent on giving. And so when half the church leaves, That's a big deal. And immediately, there was not even enough income to do ministry or to even pay our staff to make payroll. And my grandparents at that time lived in Alabama and their their best friends were, were business owners there. And they contacted my parents and said, let us know how, what the gap is between what's coming in and what you need for payroll. And we'll make sure that you meet payroll every single time until the church grows back. You're not gonna have to let go of anyone. These are people that didn't go to our church, but heard about a problem and said, we wanna be patrons from afar. I think that's pretty amazing, right? And yeah, you can clap to that. 
You know, so many areas of our church, you can look around and see there are patrons who made these things possible. Our youth auditorium, our kids ministry, we would have no kids ministry without patrons. We would have no youth ministry without patrons. Our coffee shop, our holiday hope endeavors, everything that we do comes back to these people who are sacrificial in their giving and they're that all-in mentality. And it's such an incredible thing. And I don't know if anything stirs my heart more than seeing people sacrifice like that, knowing that they are giving so much far above what they even um, naturally even should, but they believe it is such a strong calling on, your, on their life. And if you're here today and when we're talking, something is just stirring in your heart, maybe you have the gift of giving, and I think that that's an incredible thing. Maybe you'll never stand on this stage or you'll never do some of the things that other leaders are doing, but you say, I feel a strong call right now to be a patron of this house. My, maybe my story is messed up or maybe you know, things are not on the outside. You know, I don't look like I have it all together, but I do have some resources and I feel God stirring in my heart right now and maybe he's talking to you today, but we need patrons to rise up in our church. And then we also need, it brings us to the third point, we need partnership with the church, the capital C church, the global church. You know, what we're a part of is so much bigger than just Citizen Church Albuquerque. It extends across the globe. The story of Jesus and the mission of Jesus has been going for a very, 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 very long time, since the beginning of time. And what we're a part of, it is a global movement. And so to keep our perspective right and our hearts right, to where we're not small-minded and thinking only of ourselves, I mean, we have to have that global mentality. The church of Jesus Christ, it is so much bigger than this just little area or this little church that we're a part of right here. Although God is doing amazing things here, it is so much bigger. And I wanna have a kingdom, global kingdom mentality to where I am partnering with people. That's why we are very invested in missions because we wanna partner with the church of Kenya. We wanna partner with the church in Haiti. We wanna partner with the church in Mexico, in Thailand. We wanna partner with the church in Tunisia or even across the United States in Washington, D.C. We're partnering with them. And one day when we get to heaven and we stand before God, I believe more than these big pastors that have, you know, they're well known. I believe the patrons of the kingdom of God will be standing there with jewels in their crown and be able to stand there and say, I see so many people who came to Christ because I was invested in the kingdom of God, the global church, the church of Jesus Christ. We see this in, um, in the I say something to that because I just thought that was so profound yes. because oftentimes pastors get the credit for ministry, pastors get the credit for these things, but what you have to understand is that there would be no pastors without yep. patrons. There, there, would, there would be no Apostle Paul without the patrons. There would not be most of the New Testament without the patrons of the gospel. Citizen Church would not be here without patrons. We would not be here without patrons. Pastors sometimes end up getting the credit, but in heaven, the credit is going to go to the patrons. I, I truly believe that. I believe that. I think that's an incredible place to clap. Come on, just give God praise. <laughs> give him praise. I believe it. I do. Paul was in Greece, and I'm gonna give an example of this. He's in Greece, and he hears about the church in Jerusalem who's struggling financially. And so he goes to the church of Greece and he says, hey, I know you don't even know these people. You've never met them, but they're our brothers and sisters and we're gonna think global and we're gonna take up an offering. 
and the church of Greece come together and they supply resources for the church of Jerusalem. In Romans 15, 26, it says, the believers in Macedonia and Achaia were eager to share their resources among the saints in Jerusalem. They were eager, they understood this global church mentality. We want to invest in them because they are us. We wanna invest in the church across the globe or across the nation because there are brothers and sisters and we have a global church mentality. For sure, I, I was asked um, a few years ago, I was on a, um, a call with pastors and I was asked the question, um, what do you think the definition of church unity is? And my definition of church unity, it might be different than yours and I think it's different than a lot of pastors, but there's a lot of emphasis when you first start thinking about church unity, about the church, for us to do worship services together. Let's do a big worship concert, let's do an event together. And that, those things are fine, but that is just scratching the surface of church unity because it's not so much about doing everything together, but it's fully supporting each other to be unique parts of the body of Christ. I should not expect the other churches in Albuquerque to look exactly like our church. They should not expect us to look exactly like their church or to do everything exactly the way they do it. We are unique parts of the same body of Christ and the more we are patrons of each other, support each other, praise each other, I think the long game of church unity is that, um, becoming really understanding partnerships with the church. I love this scripture you read. This was a very pivotal, pivotal time in the history of the church. Because at that time, the Jewish Christian church, people that became Christian but who were Jews in Jerusalem, um, there was a pivotal time because there was this, this possibility of division between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians in Greece. Because Jews and Gentiles, we've talked about a lot, did not get along. There was a lot of racism and things like that. It was a very, very, very pivotal time because when Paul went to the churches of Greece, he was showing them what spiritual maturity looks like. What it looks like is there is no competition between the churches in Greece and the church of Jerusalem. When the church of Jerusalem, a different church needs something, this church helps. It's not just protecting the resources of my church, it's being a good steward of those, but at the same time, when churches are in need, we step up and meet those needs because there have been times we have been in need and churches have stepped up to help us. And it's the symbiotic relationship of understanding, and Paul was teaching them, this goes far beyond Church of Greece, this goes far beyond Greece. Christianity is a global movement, and it's a global church, and it's about us coming together and really understanding that. Um, in light of that, I've mentioned this over the last few weeks, and last year, we started something, a, a network um, based out of our church called Co-Church. And, and we're so excited about this, and we have over 30 churches involved in our, in our network in Co-Church, and the main, the, the main function of it is this. We have a lot of resources. Our, our church is 90 years old. We have collected a whole lot of resources over the years that we feel like God has called us to give away and to help other churches. And so because we're, we receive help from other churches, but Co-Church is about um, investing in pastors, investing in churches, the church, getting outside of Citizen Church, understanding that the full blessing of God on this house is only going to come to pass when we understand our calling goes outside of this house. And so Co-Church is about fully blessing, equipping, resourcing, rejuvenating, praying for and being there for other churches and other pastors. And so um, every year for Heart for the House for the foreseeable future, Co-Church will be a portion and a percentage of our Heart for the House offering because we always wanna keep a portion of 
the heart for the house offering that is mainly for this house and our endeavors, we always wanna keep a portion of that to remind ourselves it's never about just this house. And so today, in light of that, we actually have one of our pastors here today who's in Co-Church, um, amazing guy, amazing couple, but if you at this time would help me welcome Seth Fincher to the stage. Um, Seth and his wife, Kayla, pastor Pruitt Assembly in Pruitt, New Mexico, um, about halfway between Grants and Gallup. Uh, before I go on, I don't wanna forget this. Kayla, um, Kayla, Seth's wife's right over here. Stand up real quick. I know she is, she is shy and introverted, but amazing. Wave at everybody. This is what's super cool. So this is, this is Kayla's home church where, where Kayla uh, went to youth ministry and we were talking the other day. I did not even know this detail until this summer. Um, I did know Kayla went to our, our youth ministry, obviously, but I did not know at 15 years old is when you gave your life to Christ in our youth ministry here, which is so cool. So I think we can give that a hand because I think that's a really cool part of the story. And so I, I, wanna, I wanna tell you a little bit about Seth and then I wanna turn this over and talk about our partnership um, with you guys. But I came to know, we came to know who you guys were during the pandemic. Um, I'd, I'd been friends with Kayla and her parents on Facebook, obviously, and, and right when the pandemic started, one of the small blessings of the pandemic, what, when church was online, was um, it was the first time ever in my life I got to see what other churches were doing and kind of get to know other churches. And every Sunday I would watch two or three churches after our online services would happen, and yours was one of those. Um, one day, I think Kayla or Kayla's mom shared your live stream, and, and I, I, I started watching this live stream, and I was like, Pruitt, Pruitt, New Mexico, and I Googled where that was, and then I was looking at like, <laughs> people have to Google where Albuquerque is too, don't worry about it. Okay, so, <laughs> so I, I, I started watching, and this is what was so cool. I, me I remember immediately the first time I watched it, sat up straight on the couch, and I was, I was so captivated by your sermon, your level of excellence, um, the investment you put in. I could tell immediately, I even said to Mandy, I said, this guy works hard. Yeah. Because I know, you, you took over that church, there was about 20 people there, I knew you would've been the only staff member. The pandemic had just started, you had just become the pastor, you guys were newlyweds. There, the COVID hit the Navajo Nation really, really hard, and I'm watching you, I mean, work so hard at a level of excellence, and I just wanted to get to know you. It was so inspiring to me. And so um, this last summer, um, I, we invited you to come up and speak to our staff, and you poured into our staff and invested in us, and you've been such an inspiration to us, and you're also in our co-church network, and um, I don't wanna tell your whole story for you, so you, you go ahead, and, and I wanna turn it over to you. No, no, uh, I definitely, I wanna say thank you, just to, just to start. I mean, when we talk about uh, co-church, you guys have, uh, in the history of Citizen and uh, all the things that you guys have done over the last ye several years, um, blazed trails that our church has been able to just like hop on trails that you guys had to figure out and like hatch it your way through and we're able to like run when we should be walking and figuring stuff out and Co-Church has helped with that so much. I mean, there's so many different areas um, from just baby dedications to we're restructuring our board uh, and how we have board meetings. Uh, even this summer, this table, we, we literally reached out, we were updating our pulpit and said, what kind of table do you guys use for your pulpit? Like even just the small things Wayfair. Uh, like that. <laughs> Wayfair. 
So uh, it's just been incredible. The big things, the small things. I think one of the things that I'm really excited about uh, is one of the ministries that we believe is gonna be um, a core piece of where God is calling us as a church is our kids' ministry. And earlier this year, I was uh, sitting at the house and I just had this image pop in my head uh, as we were talking about our kids' ministry. And it was in my head, but there was no way to get it from my head to anywhere else. That, is that the image? So, And this is the image, yeah. And so head. it was in my head and I sent it to, to you guys here. Uh, you guys took it over and brought it to life for us, uh, gave us digital resources, helped us to be able to, to take this and bring it to life. I think the next photo, if you can flip to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, you guys went above and beyond uh, and, and created this Oasis Kids uh, concept for us, and that just planted the seed, and we just began to run and dream. I gotta pause you. Look, look how sharp this looks. This is just, you just look at that room, and you go, excellence. Talk about partnership. That was all Kayla. Kayla gets Kayla, credit for all of this room. Yes. We're thankful for Kayla. <laughs> But that was one of the things that uh, was just huge. I mean, it was one of these things where it started off as the seed of an idea, and you guys just helped it to bloom, not only to that room, but eventually we're gonna redo uh, an entire hallway and classrooms uh, based off of that concept for our kids' ministry at the church. Uh, but the biggest one right now has gotta be our sanctuary. Uh, you guys have stepped up in a, in a big way. Uh, last year, right before Christmas, uh, we were walking through our, our sanctuary, uh, and we're walking in between the rows of chairs, and Kayla caught her foot uh, under the carpet. And that's never what you want to experience the day before your Christmas service. Uh, and so Kayla's going through, she's like, hey, there's something under the carpet over here. Uh, and so I make a few phone calls, like we're trying to troubleshoot, like what in the world is going on? Because our carpet is literally lifting up in the middle of our sanctuary. Uh, and so the first thing I was told is we've got to cut a hole uh, and, and trying to figure out what's causing this crack, shove a little uh, you know, piece of metal down there, how deep is it going to go, what's going on? Uh, and so from this Saturday to the next Wednesday, we went from a hole in our carpet to a 12-foot by 6-foot hole in our sanctuary where we had cut back our carpet and pulled back the layers trying to figure out what was happening here. Uh, and so you, we've still got Christmas decorations up. Like, this is right at Christmas time last year. And all of a sudden, we're trying to figure out what's going on. And all of a sudden, we're not finding water. We've got this big issue with no answers. And it ended up dragging on for a few months. Insurance got involved trying to figure out what was going on. And by the end of it, we were told that everything from our stage to our front doors, all the concrete had to be brought out. So I want to put this into context, okay? Brand new pastor, newlyweds, pandemic, COVID hitting that area very hard. Christmas, you're finally like, we're coming out of this thing. Only staff member. You're the only paid staff member. So like you, you had mentioned last service that you would drive to Gallup and rent to Jack. You said we went to Gallup. And I was like, <laughs> does we mean you? And you're like, yeah. So I mean, you're, you're the one doing this work. And you know, obviously people are helping, but um, I can't even imagine the stress and the weight um, that was on you in that time. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it started off, um, you know, after, at first we had no, I've never run a jack here in my life, right? So I, my vision was like Looney Tunes, like I'm going to be bouncing around That's the sanctuary, this is going to be a blast. What was it like? Uh, it was not like Looney Tunes. No, is it? No. So it was not nearly as fun. It wasn't bad, uh, but it wasn't nearly as fun as I expected, right? Something starts off fun when it's new, and then once you're on the third month of doing it every weekend and you've not seen a Saturday, it loses its appeal. Uh, I would guess and, so. And so finally, it took us about three and a half months. Every weekend we were in there, uh, and it got to a certain point. We had, sometimes we had volunteers, and then there was many times where it'd just be me in there, and i just 
throw on some headphones, throw on some, it would just be going, going to town, just line after line of getting concrete out. Uh, and I thought that was gonna be the end. Uh, and unfortunately, we got all the concrete out and that's when we discovered like why the concrete broke in the first place. And we found ourselves uh, facing issues with our HVAC being in the ground, not being able to support concrete. The floor had never been leveled. They had never put rebar in it. The floor had never been compact. It was not made concrete ready. They had just literally poured concrete over a loose floor. Uh, and so while the physical labor was a lot, mentally the stress that came at certain points, uh, we're doing things and things that should be simple don't work. We, we go and we've rented a jackhammer one week and we win it on the weekends because we can pick it up Friday after three, deliver it Monday by nine, pay a single day price, get a whole weekend's worth of work out oh, of it. Whoa. So, Right, we're trying to be efficient with yeah, this. Except for when we go to get the jackhammer, you bring it back and whoever used it last had broke the plug and didn't tell anybody. And so we get back and go to plug it in and it's, it's all broken. And so now all of a sudden work can't be done. And so the stress just began to build up. Uh, and on top of that, we were, we were as a church had raised $7,000 over four months doing food sales, yard sales, doing all the work, which for the church was huge with where we we're at. But the reality is, with HVAC, with the, the uh, concrete alone, we are looking at not even having a fourth of what we are going to need to be able to get all that stuff done. And so we, we contacted our uh, denominational leader, uh, and he said, hey, I'm going to begin to make some calls for you guys and see what I can do. So our denominational leader, his name is Mike Dickinson, and he, he's awesome. And um, he called me one day. I'll never forget that phone call. Um, I, drive, I was driving to pick up my kids from school, and he said, hey, I know you know Seth Fincher. He's in co-church. I said, yeah, what's going on? And he said, he'll never ask you this on his own, but this is, these are the things going on at their church. And he said, they're, they're quite a bit short. And, um, and, and he said, I was just wanting to see if you guys wanted to have conversations to see if you could help. I'm making a few phone calls to different churches. And um, the second he asked me if we could help, I immediately felt like I heard God in, in my spirit, to my spirit say, I'm watching, I'm watching you, what are you gonna do? You know, we're in a season right now of building, right? Heart for the house, building a new North Campus, and I felt like God stopped and said, what are you gonna do? We had actually hit a snag in the process for North Campus. Um, there, were, there was something that happened that kind of slowed down the process and things were getting hung up, and uh, we were just waiting and waiting and waiting, and when I got that phone call, I, I felt like God said, you're gonna do this for two reasons, because I love Seth, and you're gonna be obedient, and, and you're gonna be generous. And number two, this gift will unlock breakthrough for, for what, what, what we're doing here at Citizen Church. And so I immediately got off the phone. There's a certain limit of what I can say yes to financially. So I called our financial team and said, where are we at financially? Can we do you know, my, my max amount? <clears throat> and they said, absolutely, we can, we can handle that. And then I called Mike back, the, the denominational guy, and I said, we can do this amount now, I'll go to, we have a board meeting next week, I'll go to them, whatever doesn't come in from the other churches, I really feel like I'm supposed to go to our board and say, whatever doesn't come in, let's try to cover it. Um, Mike called back and, and wasn't able to get much else and um, told, told us the amount. We, we went to the board and what's so cool is that the board you know, heard this story and unanimously said, yes, we're, we're gonna give them whatever, whatever they need. And it was an honor. To say thank you in a moment like this, just to be clear, so you guys know what your church gave uh, in response to our need was $24,000. In a moment when you find yourself, yeah. 
in a moment when you find yourself helpless and you've done all that you can do and you say, God, this is it. I can, I can do no more. We're, we're following after you. We're where you, we know that you've called us, but this, like we're at the end of our limits. And then somebody steps in and, and does what's, what you couldn't do for yourself. It's so true, and, and what's so crazy about this too is we felt helpless in that moment too because things were so, it, everything was stalled out. And within 15 minutes of giving that second check, within 15 minutes, I got a text from our financial person that said, hey, just wanna let you know I got a phone call and what was locked is unlocked and everything's good to go. Within 15 minutes, within 15 minutes. Like you can't script that. And so, I mean, it's not, we don't give to get. I'm not one of those pastors that's like, if you give this offering, God's gonna give you a brand new car. We're not like that. But the truth is, when you tap into God's system in the supernatural, things are unlocked. Things that have been locked do unlock. Absolutely. No, we just, one more time, I just wanna say thank, I mean, your partnership, it's not just the building. Your partnership is literally gonna change lives. Uh, and, and we fully believe God just, Back in August of this year, God very clearly began to just speak to me about 2023 for our church. Uh, and last week, uh, I just felt in a, in a time that God very clearly spoke to my heart. He said, the earth is ready, and now it's time for the rain. Uh, and I just wanna say thank you for being the partners that God is using to finish getting the earth ready because 2023 is a year that we believe lives and a community is gonna be changed in our area, and people are gonna come so to good. know Jesus. So good. Thank you, Seth. Hey, Kayla, if you could come up here real quick. I wanna end by praying over them as a couple. And, and if you guys would stretch out your hands just toward them symbolically, we're gonna pray for supernatural blessing, multiplication, and that what you just said God spoke to you about it's time for rain, we're gonna believe that. And all of the hard work that you've been doing, the sowing and the sowing and sowing, 2023 is gonna be the reaping year. And I, we believe for that harvest. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Seth and Kayla, these amazing pastors in Pruitt, New Mexico, called by you, God, to reach an area, to reach a region. And God, we just pray right now. We know that you have seen the hard work. You have seen the tilling of the ground. You have seen all of the sowing. And God, we are asking and believing for a harvest in 2023 that is so far beyond what they can comprehend or imagine, God. God, we pray blessing upon them, anointing upon them. We pray a fresh wind and fresh rejuvenation in their spirit, in their physical body. God, we pray for their marriage. We pray that it would be even stronger in this next season. God, as they work together in this season, God, we pray over their congregation, their board. God, we, we pray protection over every person, over every endeavor. And Father, we just pray blessing upon blessing upon blessing with a fresh wind and a fresh anointing. Rejuvenate them in the name of Jesus and bless them. We thank you for this, these things. We thank you and in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said... Amen, amen. Thank you guys so much.